Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we go to Egypt and look ahead to this weekend's Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations final as Senegal play the Gambia. Two countries that share everything in common and the players know each other. It promises to be a fantastic match. As coming up shortly, also we catch up on the CAF Champions League with Ad Casablanca of Morocco, the first team to qualify for the quarterfinals. And we look at the disturbing story of a player collapsing and dying in action in Ivory Coast top flight last weekend with calls for better health checks for players in Africa. Lost two on the English Premier League as Mohamed Salah breaks the Liverpool goal-scoring record. So lots coming up on the show this week and let's start at the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt. It's Senegal versus the Gambia in Saturday's final. Both teams having won all of their games so far. And Senegal, the Gambia and the losing semi-finalists Tunisia and Nigeria have all qualified for the 2023 FIFA Under-23 World Cup in Indonesia. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's reporter in the Gambia, Mamadou Ba, is in Egypt at the tournament. I spoke to him and first asked about the Gambia's run to the final. The young Scorpions had a pretty much straightforward um, route um, to their maiden um, appearance in the in the final. Started the group stage in what was a solid solid group. Um, they won the first game against to, um, Tunisia. They left it late though with Captain Alaji Sen scoring in the last uh, minutes of the match um, to beat the young Carthage Eagles of um, Tunisia by a goal to nil. They followed that up with an improved performance um, against Zambia 2-0, then another 1-0 victory over um, Benin in the final um, group stage um, to go through as group winners. The Gambia secured top top spot in the group after the second match due to other results in the group. So after the second game, they had an unassailable six-point lead. But Abdullah Bojang's team went on, even though he made 10 changes, the young Scorpions still secured victory against Benin to go um, to sail through to the um, quarterfinals with a 100% record, scoring in every match, winning all their three matches without conceding a goal. In the quarterfinals, it was an improved and a strong performance against debut and South Sudan, when the young Scorpions powered past the Bright Stars five goals to zero um, to secure their biggest win of the tournament. Against um, Nigeria in the in the semi-finals, Gambia coming into the match knowing 16 years ago on their debut they were denied a place in the final by the Flying Eagles. Abdullah Bojang's team scored early when Steve Biko prodigy Adam Bojang, who is one of the stars of this tournament, um, fired the Gambia ahead after seven minutes. The Gambia held on even though they were reduced to 10 in the dying minutes of the match, but the Scorpions um, held on to secure what is a historic um, a ticket to um, the final where they will play neighbours and arch-rival Senegal in Saturday's final. Yeah, it was a great run from the Gambia. Um, actually, at under-17 level, uh, the baby Scorpions have got a really strong record, haven't they? Yes, um, at youth category, the Gambia has a fantastic record, winning the under-17 title um, two times first in 2005 at home uh, before um, repeating the feat four years later in Algeria um, to um, 2009, a team that 
um, featured current captain of the Scorpions, um, Omar Kuli. So um, the Gambia has a good record. And at under 20s level, this is the Gambia's fourth um, appearance at the under on the 20s Afcon, and and now for the third time, the Gambia has been able to go to the semi-finals. This time around, they've gone a, f- a step better by um, reaching the final. Well, this promises to be a fantastic uh, final. Arch rivals, as you say, and uh, Senegal also haven't uh, put a foot wrong in the tournament. Yeah, it promises to be a fantastic final. The two teams um, know each other very well because they both qualified from, from the same zone, that is the Wafu A zone. Senegal beating the Gambia by a goal to nil in the final. After both teams have secured qualification to, um, to the Afghans. So um, rivalry, two countries that share everything in common and the players know each other. It promised to be a fantastic match. Senegal currently winning everything in African football, but the Scorpions would need to stop that um, when they play on on Saturday to secure what would be a historic feat, winning a first continental um, crown. Well, looking forward to, to that. Just tell us about some of the other teams. You mentioned their South Sudan's bright stars, uh, beaten 5 nil in the quarterfinals by the Gambia, but uh, doing really well, uh, not only to qualify, but to get to the knockout stage. The Bright Stars had a, a brilliant tournament for um, for debutants. Um, they qualified from the Sekafa zone alongside um, Uganda. They were in the same group in Ismailia, uh, where they... M- even though we're um, losing the first the first game to Congo, but um, they they beat the Central African um, Republic to secure their their maiden victory um, at the tournament before um, drawing against um, their neighbours um, Uganda um, to qualify um, from the group as uh, with four points and um, in third place with um, four points. So um, it was a good tournament for the Bright Stars, even though they they lost the quarterfinal match against the Gambia five goals to zero in Alexandria but I think um, Peter James will take a lot of positives and I think uh, and of course South Sudan qualifying for their first um, uh, continental um, uh, tournament will really boost um, the morales um, back home given that um, they are the youngest nation in in Africa and of course qualifying will really help the development of football um, back in uh, back in South Sudan. And a really disappointing tournament for the hosts, Egypt, uh, going out at the group stage with uh, just one point from their three matches. Very disappointing and the manner in which they got knocked out, especially in the last game against Senegal, who beat them for four, was really was really disappointing. And um, I think um, the coach, Mahmoud Gabar, was really disappointed after the Senegal match. They played the first, um, the first game they were held to a... Uh, um, a goalless draw by uh, Mozambique uh, before losing to Nigeria in the second match. But the Senegal match, um, they, the young Egyptian did not turn up. And Senegal, the impressive Senegal team, really um, uh, hammered them in front of their home fans, four goals to zero with um, uh, the leading goal scorer of the tournament, uh, Pap Demba Job, um, scoring a hat-trick. So um, it is a tournament to forget for um, for Egypt. And uh, I'm guessing uh, Pap Jop is going to be uh, very likely getting the uh, Player of the Tournament uh, award, especially if Senegal do win the final. Yes, um, he was named uh, the best player in the group stage. With um, he scored four goals, and of course in the in the semi final against Tunisia, he scored a worldy. He is on a playing on a rich vein vein of form, um, scoring, and right now he is the talisman of the tournament and um, the favorite um, to be named um, the player of the tournament. But Gambia's Adam Bojang, who scored a hat trick against South Sudan, 
and scored the all-important winner against um, Nigeria to book the Gambia's place to, to the final, is also another contender for the Golden Boot Award and, of course, um, the MVP of the tournament. But as we speak, Job currently with five goals is the man leading, um, leading the way, but it could change depending on Gambia's performance and especially Adama Bojang's performance, who has really come, come to life in the knockout stages of the tournament. Yeah, so really looking forward to that mouth-watering final on Saturday. And Amamadou, tell us uh, what it's been like there, uh, how you've been treated, uh, the level of organisation and also the crowds, because uh, I must say, watching on TV, it looks as though uh, a lot of the games have had uh, small crowds. Um, the organisation has been um, a great, you put in a, um, a brilliant um, organisation for um, for the tournament, even though they bowed out in the group stages. But um, as you said, also we do we do not see large crowds com- com- compared to when the senior Afcon took place here in 2019. But the families and of course the supporters that came out have really enjoyed it. I've seen people coming out with um, with their families, having it, having a great time in the stadiums. Um, you know, the youngsters have really enjoyed the tournament, and and overall, even in the organisation session level um, the volunteers have really have really enjoyed the experience of having um, a continental um, a tournament hosted um, across um, um, Egypt. Well, speaking there to Mamadou Ba in Egypt a great final then in prospect on Saturday at the under 20 AFCON as Senegal play the Gambia. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, let's catch up on the CAF Champions League with some of the match day four games of the group stage played on Tuesday and Raja Casablanca of Morocco, the first team to qualify for the quarterfinals. Raja have four wins from four. They won 3-1 away to Horoya of Guinea in Group C. In Group D, Esperance of Tunisia suffered their first defeat. They lost 3-0 away to Zamalek of Egypt, who had made a bad start in their campaign. Esperance topped the group with nine points. On second are Sia Belouzadad of Algeria on six, Zamalek and Almarek of Sudan both on four points. The Group A games will be played this Saturday, and in Group B, Al-Hilal of Sudan went top on Tuesday as they beat Cotton Sport of Cameroon 2-0. Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa versus Egypt's Al-Athli will be played on Saturday. Cotton Sport out with four defeats from four, and Al-Hilal topped the group on nine points, Sundowns on seven, Al-Athli on four. Now, in very sad news, a player in Ivory Coast top flight died last weekend. Racing club Dabijan defender Mustaf Silla collapsed during the match against Seoul FC last Sunday and was pronounced dead on the way to hospital. He was only 21. He stumbled before losing his balance and then fell motionless near the centre circle. And it's another death on the pitch in African football. And reactions include calls for better health checks for players. That's something that we've heard before, Ida. Steve, it's so sad that six years after another Ivorian player, Sheikh Tiote, passed away on the pitch, then a similar situation has happened, albeit in a different location and at a different time. And it was very much the same line of events, you know, an outpouring of grief, condolences, questions about the state of football. And then life went back to normal. And it's the same sort of questioning that legend and fellow countryman Didier Drogba asked after the 21-year-old's death. And I quote, when will sports medicine arrive? End of quote. 
presumably in Africa, of course. And there's also the ever-present theory that African players could indeed be more susceptible to sudden cardiac death, though neither the club nor the federation has so far given a cause of death for Silla. It's been an especially sad time for African football, Steve, considering that Christian Atsu's body was discovered after the Turkey Syria earthquake not too long before, though, of course, the two causes of death are separate. Yes, yeah, so really sad to hear about the death of Mustafa Silla in Ivory Coast. In other news, the Confederation of African Football will not sanction Morocco for their no-show at this year's African Nations Championship, the Chan in Algeria. Remember that Morocco pulled out just a couple of days before the start of the tournament as they were not allowed to fly direct into Algeria. Also, Algeria were not sanctioned for political remarks made by Nelson Mandela's grandson at the tournament's opening ceremony. Uh, so what do you make of this, Ida? Well, Steve, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this really was a balanced solution that CAF came up with. Look, in as much as both parties are still not appeased, as we will get to in a bit, giving one would have meant giving the other. Sanctioning one would have called for even greater sanctions for the other. I mean, punishment for Morocco could have seen the two-time Chan champions banned from the next edition, something that they escaped. So this approach, and I would understand those who say that it was a bit escapist, sure, but it also did maintain some level of equilibrium. But as we said, the parties involved are still not happy. Morocco has announced that it will appeal the decision and added even more fuel to the fire, Steve, with a possible repeat situation saying that it will boycott the under-17 AFCON in April in Algeria if the Atlas Lions are not allowed to fly directly to the host country. So a bit of deja vu. And just to remind the listeners that all this is based on a diplomatic row, which saw the two countries sever ties back in 2021. Now, that was a move, Steve, which included suspension of direct flights in both directions. So definitely a situation where you see politics coming into sports. However, even as we focus on the two North African countries, I do want to throw a hypothetical spanner into the works because sometimes with these calf rulings, it does feel a bit selective, you know, and it does make one wonder about the punitive measures or in this case, you know, a lack thereof and whether countries from sub-Saharan Africa would receive the same treatment. I mean, both Morocco and Algeria have contributed greatly towards African football development. Algeria, they won an Afghan not too long ago, and they're about to host a continental tournament, as we've mentioned. Morocco, everyone saw how well they did at the World Cup. Add to that the very real, the very tangible contribution they've made, what with hosting tournaments and events right, left and center. I mean, it is 
easy to see how they both went scot-free on this. I mean, CAF and Morocco would definitely not want to jeopardize their well-working relationship. In fact, the continental body is set to award King Mohammed VI with an Outstanding Achievement Award mid-March in a ceremony in Rwanda. Now, it's a ceremony, Steve, so important that FIFA President Gianni Infantino is highly likely to attend. This is the same ceremony that we'll see the 2025 Afghan host announced. So all in all, quite a big deal. And depending on who you ask, yet another example of just how CAF and the North African countries have become so inextricably linked. Right, yes. Uh, thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League as Mohamed Salah breaks the Liverpool goal-scoring record. Well, our website is planetsport.tv, and there on our website you can read our blog about are we expecting too much of the VAR? Let's go to social media now. And last week we asked, who do you think should host the 2025 Africa Cup of Nations? The CAF are expected to name the host of the tournament this month. This after Guinea had the hosting taken away from them. So there's a big contest with Morocco and Algeria, the leading contenders. Also in the race are South Africa, Zambia and a joint bid from Benin and Nigeria. So we asked who do you think should host the tournament and uh, the greatest support was for Zambia. Uh, Kwanele and Lovu in Botswana says Zambia must be given a chance because North African countries are hosting too much. Chitendi Kamwanga in Zambia says yes, so we should host. And De Last Sun in Cameroon says I'll go for Zambia. It would help to foster economic development in the country and give employment opportunities. My Tato Kumo Ketso says, in my opinion, if the playing grounds meet the standard, I prefer Zambia to host. And uh, yes, uh, thanks for that to my Tato. Certainly the facilities will be critical and Zambia would have uh, two venues uh, suitable at best uh, by the looks of it. Uh, Pythias Mukishi says, hey, they should give it to Zambia in the spirit of fairness because others have had their chance. And Walker Sichalwe says, Zambia have been champions before in the AFCON, but have never had a chance to host it. Achino Chuko in Nigeria says CAF should have to rotate the hosting. This time they should consider Zambia in the southern part of Africa. Simpilo Siabantwe in Zambia says Nigeria won't host because of the political situation there. And Morocco's failure to travel to Algeria for the Chan means they won't get the rights to host. So Zambia and Algeria remain the main competition, says Simpilo. Nwachuku Christopher Ogbunku in Nigeria says for a big country like Nigeria to make a joint bid with Benin doesn't make sense. And Niba Cliff in Rwanda says South Africa would be the best host. If not them, it's Morocco, says Niba. Uh, Singh P. Denison in Nigeria says, I think it should be Morocco. They've got the best facilities. And Divine Kum in Cameroon says, Morocco for me because of their recent exploits in African football reaching the World Cup semi-finals. Uh, Sideko Suno in the Gambia says, I prefer Morocco because of their infrastructure. And Henry Eliaza says, Algeria have recently built amazing infrastructure, but Morocco should get the nod. 
And finally, on this, technical man Emmanuel in Cameroon says, I don't see South Africa hosting because they hosted just 10 years ago. It might have maybe gone to Benin, but merging with Nigeria, who've hosted twice in a continent with 54 countries, doesn't make sense to me. And North African countries are hosting too much, says Emmanuel. I think CAF should embark on promoting African football by encouraging the less privileged nations. And to me, Zambia should be the next host, says Emmanuel. Well, thanks, Emmanuel. One important point there raised by others as well is uh, the idea that there should be rotation of hosting around the continent. And on last week's show, Olawashina Okaleji did explain that a CAF president, Patrice Motsepe, recently spoke of rotating the hosting among the regions. He spoke about that at the Chan in Algeria. Uh, what that does mean is that since Ivory Coast are hosting in 2023, it means that 2025 uh, certainly can't go to West Africa if uh, this idea is followed. Well, thanks so much to everybody who got in touch. Always a greatly appreciated. Uh, this week on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, we're asking, what do you think about Mohamed Salah's goal-scoring record? As Salah broke the Liverpool goal-scoring record with two goals in the Reds' 7-0 win over Manchester United last Sunday. So Salah now has 129 goals for Liverpool, breaking the record of club legend Robbie Fowler. So what do you think about Salah's achievement? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And certainly the most talked about story of the week was Liverpool's 7-0 thrashing of Manchester United in an extraordinary game last Sunday. Along with that was Salah's goal-scoring record. So, uh, first of all, Stuart, what do you think about uh, Salah's achievement yourself? Well, Liverpool 7, Manchester United 0 was certainly a result we didn't see coming. It was a great day for Liverpool, and arguably an even better day for Mo Salah, who scored, as you say, the 129th league goal, setting a new Liverpool record. The Liverpool scored seven goals was certainly a surprise, because they'd only scored five in the last four games. It was not that Liverpool played brilliantly, they just took their chances. And I think what will please Jurgen Klopp is that uh, Gakpo, Nunez and Salah each scored two goals. Jackpot signed in January, looks a brilliant acquisition. Nunez previously played his club football in Uruguay and Portugal and was really stepping up to the Premier League and he struggled initially, but now he looks to have adjusted. And you know, Salah seemed to be close to leaving Liverpool last season and I think he struggled a lot at the beginning of this season, probably missing Sadio Mane. And I think it's no coincidence that his improvement in goal scoring coincides with the signing of Gakpo and the improvement in Nunez. I don't think the result will deeply affect the season. I think Manchester United will return to winning ways at the weekend and qualify for the Champions League. And Liverpool still have it all to do to make the Champions League. But for the moment, with Salah back scoring for fun, Liverpool's future looks a lot brighter than it did. Manchester United had only lost one of the previous 22 games and were coming off a victory over Barcelona and victory in the League Cup. But no one can deny that Liverpool fully deserved it. But it was just one of those freak results. The only statistic that matters is Liverpool 7 goals, Manchester United no goals. But you could add that Manchester United had two good chances to score at 0-0 
And that Liverpool had eight shots on target and scored seven of them. That's what you call clinical finishing. And Manchester United had four shots and scored none of them. The simple fact was that Manchester United's defending was all over the place and most of the Liverpool goals came when United left a Liverpool attacker unmarked. And we all know that Mo Salah is the world champion at finding space. Well, indeed, and a remarkable game and uh, well done to uh, Mohamed Salah. Um, so Arsenal still five points clear at the top of the table, but uh, only just after last weekend's uh, last gasp win over Bournemouth, Stuart. Well, when the season ends, I think we might look back on last weekend's Arsenal-Bournemouth game as one of the most significant in the season at both ends of the table. 57 minutes gone and the score was Arsenal nil, Bournemouth 2. If that shock score had remained, Arsenal would have lost control of their destiny and Bournemouth would have moved out of the bottom three. And it was a goal from the Ghanaian midfield player, Thomas Partey, who got them back into the game. And they won, as you say, with a goal in the 97th minute. And Ben White scored the other goal for Arsenal. He's the 14th Arsenal player to score for the Gunners this season. That's quite remarkable. But it now leaves Arsenal top of the league and in a position that Manchester City can win every game between now and the end of the season and still finish second. Bournemouth are now bottom of the table. One interesting fact, Steve, is that Arsenal have made the least changes and have the most settled team in the Premier League. Since September, Graham Potter has made 82 changes to his Chelsea lineup. Mikel Arteta, 15. Yes, Arsenal, 15 changes. Chelsea, 82. But if Arsenal, Manchester City and Manchester United look to have the three top places secured, the fourth Champions League place is wide open, with Tottenham having lost to Wolves, and they're in danger of dropping out of the top four. Newcastle, who looked to be going so well, have won none of their last five. Liverpool are making a late run after a disappointing early season. And Brighton, perhaps an outsider. And the bottom of the table is just too close to call, with nine clubs separated by six points. Everton, Southampton and Bournemouth are currently the bottom three. But Southampton beating Leicester 1-0 means that Southampton, who previously looked doomed, are now only three points behind Leicester. West Ham were beaten 4-0 at Brighton, a really morale-threatening defeat. And Crystal Palace are five points above relegation, but Patrick Vieira's team has not won any of their last five games, and I think they're not out of danger. Intriguing stuff uh, in the relegation battle. And uh, UEFA Champions League, a round of 16 games. Paris Saint-Germain out and uh, Tottenham also out, Stuart. Yes, we now know the four of the eight quarter-finalists and it's Benfica from Portugal, Bayern Munich from Germany, AC Milan from Italy and Chelsea. Chelsea qualified only through a fairly doubtful penalty for handball. Tottenham lost to AC Milan, failing to score in three hours of the two legs. And Bayern Munich beat Paris Saint-Germain 3-0. So Messi, Mbappe and loads of Qatari money. But PSG are no nearer to winning the Champions League. Chelsea's progression in the Champions League should keep Graham Potter's job secure for the moment. But rumours around Tottenham are that Antonio Conte will part company at, if not before, the end of the season. And the PSG manager, Christophe Galtier, is also under pressure, having failed to deliver a decent run in the Champions League. Steve, 
Last year, we reported the appointment of Slavin Bilic as manager of Watford, and I joked that if I were him, I wouldn't bother to buy a house. Well, he was fired this week, five months after he was appointed, and a run of one win and eight championship games. And he is Watford's ninth full-time manager since September 2019. Watford have appointed Chris Wilder as head coach, Wilder was sacked by Middlesbrough in October after 11 months. And in the Championship this season, 18 managers have been fired. Incredible. On the subject of managers being sacked, Scott Parker, who was fired by Bournemouth in September, appointed by Bruce in Belgium, where he lasted 11 games and has been fired for the second time in six months. Steve, last week saw the death of Just Fontaine, who in 1958 scored 13 goals in the World Cup finals for France, a record which still stands. Born in Morocco, he was nicknamed the Marrakesh Express, and in 1980s he received a direct invitation from King Hassan II to be head coach of the Atlas Lions. He used to look out of his office on the beaches of Casablanca and see hundreds of football matches taking place and he used to say how can we harness that enthusiasm to produce a strong Moroccan national team well for a French international born in Morocco it was great that he lived to see the 2022 World Cup with France reaching the final and Morocco the semi-final well, uh, what a legend uh, was Just Fontaine. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa and from Stuart Weir, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.